Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 236. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so excited to be bringing you part two of my interview with Rajkumari Niyogi. Rajkumari, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. It's such an honor to be here, Laura. Thank you for inviting me back. (laughs) My pleasure. And so I'm excited to dive into our conversation, but before we even do, let's just, if you will, take a moment for you to introduce yourself to anyone who might not have heard part one and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So I'm an executive coach that focuses on epigenetics and uh, neurobiology. I spent my whole career in Silicon Valley working with tech companies started as a technologist and found out very quickly that I did not like technology at all, but I was really good at it. Um, but what I really enjoyed were the, the, the people aspects, the training. And I uh, got a master's degree in transformative leadership development and then uh, worked uh, at Adobe and Facebook. And at Facebook, uh, even though I had the time of my life in many, many capacities, I loved my boss. I loved my job. I loved uh, working at Facebook. I got to eat whenever I wanted. I, I felt excluded, and uh, so I ended up quitting. And uh, just went on a journey of why it was so painful to feel excluded at the workplace, and uh, that led me to come back and build a coaching framework that looks at the epigenetics and neurobiology of exclusion, and uh, and and coach leaders in in tech companies. It's been a, it's been a quite a 
a fun ride, to say the least. Such important work. And as I said last time, the what happens in the tech companies tends to finally make its way over from the West Coast of the U.S. toward the East and finally gets to us on the East Coast, you know, a few years later and begins to be more mainstream. So I think that those companies sometimes, you know, are the leading edge on the changes that need to happen in the traditional workplace that isn't working for so many people. Most people, pretty much all the workers, <laughs> it works for the CEOs and it doesn't work for the workers a lot of times, it seems. You know, it's so true. And, you know, in our, in our preamble prior to, to this conversation, what we talked about was, you know, the level of tolerance in cultures and the level of tolerance of exclusion in corporate culture. And I, I think that the more, I think we really need to focus on why it is that we are so tolerant about and around those who hold intolerant views. Why is it so acceptable to show up in a workplace and behave through the lens of exclusivity to dismiss, ignore, disrespect, humiliate, ridicule others? And, and I, I, I so wish that we would really commit culturally within organizations to really having respect as a mandate, because it would really change the way we show up in the world as a collective global village. Yeah, what you're saying, respect as a mandate is so, so powerful. And, and also just, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about how there have been, you know, there's been so many buzzwords about, and, and what I would say maybe lip service about the importance of diversity and inclusion in corporate workplaces and how, you know, it's like all the corporations are getting on board with focusing on diversity and inclusion. And this is even before the current movement with Black Lives Matter protests happening all around the country and the world. But it, it's so often to me is, you know, I don't work in a corporate environment, but as an outsider, it seems so often to be lip service that, you know, it was like, okay, we'll create this diversity and inclusion committee, you know, and there's maybe the one person of color in that department is the one who's in charge of that and, you know, how much support they really get. And, you know, it's, it's like not enough, but a mandate for respect, you're talking about everyone being equally respected. That's very different. Exactly. And I think, you know, I, I think you would know how to respond and, and answer this statement uh, much better as, a, as a, the trauma therapist. But I think what drives exclusionary behavior, what drives us to show up in ways that are both detrimental to ourselves, whether it's through addiction or other abusive forms, and to really treat others disrespectfully, for me, comes from very core attachment theory. You know, what did we experience as a child? One of the things that I talk a lot about in my biology of belonging boot camps is what drives and foundationalizes exclusion and becomes a part of the relationship algorithm is that interrupted reach, right? The child is putting their arms up to the parent physically, non-verbally. And what they're saying 
is see me, uh, notice that I exist, and validate that existence. And when that, that reach is continually interrupted, not only does the child start to make meaning of that from a, and a not good enough state or a shame state, but that child grows up and has a foundational way of showing up in the workplace that is trying to compensate for that not good enough experience. Yeah, there's such a metaphor there in the reach. It's like reaching and striving for achievement and excellence and perfection and success and more and more and more. You know, there's that exactly. way that we show up in our lives as a way to meet that need that wasn't met then when we were even babies. Exactly. And I think, and I love when Sarah Payton talks about the seeking circuit that's on the the, the left hemisphere versus the care circuit that's on the, the right hemisphere. And you nailed it, right? It's that that constantly doing more, 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 you know, whether it's buying more or doing more, that's the seeking circuit that 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 is constantly being triggered and possibly from the panic circuit of, of not being enough, not being valued. And the minute that we have the inner capacities and inner resources to self-regulate and move over to the right hemisphere and step into that care circuit and begin to self-nurture and self-love and self-connect and self-accompany, it is a mind-blowingly transformative experience. Well, now I'm going to ask you about a little more about that because um, those who have listened to the podcast for a while may remember that Sarah Payton has been on the podcast uh, probably a couple years ago now. And I, I, I love her work and I've looked into it and I've read her most recent book, but I haven't really learned as much of what she teaches as I would like to. I just know that she herself feels so gentle just to talk to, just to be around her resonance is so felt. You can just feel it, you know, in talking with her. But so I admire her and, and love what she's doing and wish I knew more about it. But I think for anyone who isn't really familiar with it, can you talk a little bit more about the different circuits that you're mentioning so that, you know, just people have the vocabulary for what we're talking about right now? Gosh, you need to ask Sarah that. She's the expert, not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, but, but her work, she talks a lot about um, the, the different circuits. And that work comes from Jan Punksep's work. And so if you Google Jan Punksep, you'll, you'll find lots of information about, I believe it's the seven, seven circuits that we have that's hardwired into our system. Um, please understand that I am not an expert on this and, uh, and, and really just have conversations with Sarah that populate little, little moments of nuggets in my own brain, and then I get to kind of spout them. But certainly her book, Your Resonant Self, deeply explores all of this. And, you know, the key for me is when we don't feel value, right? That from, according to Sarah, in her research, she has beautifully correlated needs to neurochemicals. So when we feel warmly received and respected, accompanied, and we experience love, we're actually secreting endogenous opioids, and when we don't feel that we are, in fact, being warmly welcomed and respected and held, we move into the seeking circuit because we want that. And so a way to give ourselves that 
is to then move over into the care circuit. And that really is simply, for me, uh, the understanding between left hemisphere and right hemisphere. Seeking circuit is in the left, care circuit's in the right. And really the left hemisphere is about functionality. When people hang out in their left hemisphere, um, they see the world as functional. They see people as functional roles, and they see the environment as functional ways of, of experiencing. You're so you're so attuned. You heard me like open my mouth to to ask a question. I'm just thinking that functionality, roles, analysis, logic. That is so much what is rewarded in our culture, and that is so much what, at least I guess since you know the industrial revolution in the U.S. has been the well probably long before that. I'm not really that big on history. Not a history uh, knowledgeable person, but the you know, the whole like scientific paradigm and that way of thinking that's so much the often it said that's like the masculine energy is valued and prized in our culture and the feminine energy, which is more the feeling and sensing is dismissed. So, you know, that's just coming up for me while you're talking. No, absolutely. I talk about this all the time in exactly that way that, you know, companies are heavily weighted in the left hemisphere because they are exactly, as you said, rewarding based on accomplishment. How many things did you check off your to-do list? By what date, you know? But let's take a step further and dive into the right. Of course, we would want to value the left hemisphere. It's predictable. It's not very emotional. (laughs) It's, you know, cause and effect. It's binary. And, and when we have unresolved trauma, as you know so well, people are unpredictable in their reactions. You could say cupcake with strawberry icing and someone could have a meltdown. Yeah. And the person who is on the receiving end of that meltdown would be incredibly confused and uncomfortable. And if they don't have that inner capacity to really stand staunchly, in their discomfort while being in relationship to that person who's having their own experience about strawberry cupcakes. That person who's witnessing the tantrum may just want to walk away, may just not want to be part of the situation because haven't actually valued the right hemisphere and provided trainings, learnings, education, on A, what to do with unresolved trauma when you witness it happen in the workplace on your team, which we do every day, and B, how to work with individuals who are in the process of experiencing their own anxiety, their own depression in the moment of a meeting. And if we were to simply gain those resources and be able to have those capacities we would dramatically shift our workplace culture. That is so, you're, this is one of those things where I'm just like, wow, this applies in so many ways. And I mean, I'm thinking about when it comes to unresolved trauma, I don't know anyone who doesn't have any trauma. I mean, I haven't met that person yet, but even if they have never had a traumatic experience, the attachment wounds, you know, we all have unmet attachment needs because, you know, no, Nobody's parent, because the parent was a human, was able to always be just exactly what the child needed at the exact moment that the child needed that. You know, it's just not 
it's what we need, but it's not necessarily really possible to do it all the time. But so, you know, our unresolved trauma and attachment wounds are showing up in all of our relationships. And of course, where do we spend most of our time at work? We're at work <laughs> eight hours plus a day, right? Yeah, there's a Harvard Business uh, Review article back in 2016 that's titled something like why leadership development must be done on the job. And it says that 60% of the workforce has to interact with 10 or more people every single day just to do their job. So, you know, as I used to say uh, when I used to give trainings around that, if you suck at building relationships, you just suck. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's one way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit controversial, I know. That's why I'm saying it. (laughs) For the person who sucks at building relationships, they're like, oh, no. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) Right. And and that's the beautiful question, the now what questions, because that's the opening and that's the opportunity and that's the gift right there. That's that's the hard part because the opening, you know, it's I think we're so defensive in our culture and especially right now, there's so much pain being expressed with, again, going back to the Black Lives Matter movement. There are people marching who are saying we're in pain. Listen to us. And there's so many voices who are saying that's stupid. That's not real. You know, and it's just re-wounding for one thing, re-traumatizing and to take it to just an everyday situation of going to work, if you're in a workplace and there are people in the workplace who are feeling wounded and re-traumatized by what is happening right now, and you as leader don't care or can't tolerate your own discomfort with their pain, it's a it's a like a totally failing system, you know? It's just there's no it's unhealthy. Absolutely. And I think this is a huge opportunity here to dive a little deeper and to double click on this and and really kind of unpack two different things that you've just said. So the first is feedback and the the second is the Black Lives Matter. So let's start with the feedback piece. So if we presuppose, and we have been in this conversation, that the majority of companies actually not only live in their left hemisphere, but reward from the left hemisphere, and continue to presuppose that it is very difficult to connect with someone who has unresolved trauma in the workplace from a place of compassion, empathy, and concern, which happens in the right. Um, And we only see that person as functional from the left, then we can't actually connect with them because we're seeing that they're not being functional because they're experiencing trauma. And so that's point one A. (laughs) Point one B on that is the left hemisphere has to take in new information through blame. And when the left hemisphere takes in new information through blame, it actually secretes dopamine. So now we're kind of in this really complicated loop because we can't take feedback. We get defensive because we're blaming the other person. How we reconcile that feedback that's coming at us now in which we're defensive in our left hemisphere is we have to now show more data to back that up of why we did that because we haven't yet found the resources or internal capacities to vacillate over to the right hemisphere and actually go, oh, I never thought of it like that. 
huh, well, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to work on that. I need to kind of process that a bit more, but I'll get back to you with more questions. Is that okay? That's a right hemisphere experience versus a, let me pull up a PowerPoint presentation and 14 pages of reports around why this happened, right? Yeah. And so, so that's, that's the feedback aspect. And I just want to pause. I said a lot there and invite what's coming up for you. Well, yeah, I'm just I'm listening. I'm thinking when you said about uh, the PowerPoint, I thought how the person who said they were having a problem or they showed they were having a problem because they weren't functioning the way that they could if they were feeling OK. And then the boss is justifying this is why we're doing this. Exactly. exactly. Then they just feel unheard. It's the same thing. It's the attachment wound being re- repeated basically exactly and so now let's go to point two which is the black lives matter movement and we have a collective group of people saying trauma 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 and we have the people on the receiving end of that saying i don't get it huh not me i i don't uh why are you why are you protesting what why are you doing that right they're coming from a functional place trying to reconcile the Black Lives Matter, and it's not clicking. So there's a, there are two major camps that need holding and support. The trauma for the hundreds of years of slavery in this country, the murder, the execution, the rape, the death camps, the human trafficking that has occurred within the Black communities over generations and lifetimes, And we have to also look at the white communities who stood in this place as the oppressor, again, transgenerationally, and really understand that part of standing in the left hemisphere is ensuring that I don't take accountability for my actions. And so they also need holding and support as they transition and vacillate into their own right hemisphere experience, which both communities will undoubtedly experience incredible amounts of shame. It's just normal. However, when we start to really hold that shame, and really honor that shame, then we start to move through that shame. Brene Brown speaks so beautifully about shame, as we all know, right? And she talks about how shining the light onto that level of vulnerability really heals and allows us to integrate that which has been held so tightly for so long. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes and there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on 
seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. I'm just thinking about that, feeling about that, actually. Yeah. Would you like to share a little bit about coming up for you somatically, experientially? Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, well, I'm, what I'm feeling is about the, the shame and how to hold it and, you know, how to make sure that there is no escaping count, accountability, kind of, I guess is what I'm thinking, but also where there's compassion for the humanness of all of us us and how we how we heal this is together that's the only way you know and that one of the things that i love about family constellation is that and when i was learning constellation gosh over 15 years ago now one of the things that i kept hearing was this this concept of exclusion how this person was excluded or that people were excluded or right some version of exclusion kept occurring and when that exclusion occurred in that family dynamic, there was a destabilization in that family system, right? And so over the years of coaching so many folks, very senior leaders and lots and lots of tech companies, what we're constantly looking for is the re-inclusion of that which has been excluded. And that work, that re-inclusion of that which has been excluded is, for me, the bravest, most courageous work we can do because it means turning toward our anxiety, turning toward our depression, turning toward the shadow parts of ourselves and embracing all of those parts with unconditional love and acceptance. And as we start to do that, as therapists, you've all witnessed this. There is a melting that occurs. There's a surrendering. There's a dissolving of the fortress and the guardedness. And then there's a stepping into a wholeness and a reconnecting with the parts of us that have been long forgotten or left behind. And that's the work. Very, very, very much. And that I think that that's the challenge is not to turn away from it again. Yeah. Because it's so uncomfortable to sit with our own pain and other people's pain. You know, what? What? where in the human evolution did we code discomfort as something to avoid? You know, we, we all of us have hobbies that we didn't excel at in the beginning, that now we're so masterful in, but we didn't turn away from that. We kept practicing. We kept repeating. We wanted to get better, whether it was going to the gym, baking bread, playing the piano, hockey. How is feeling emotions any different? Yeah, that's a good point. Like discomfort, we read as this means it's unsafe or I'm unsafe. Yeah. If you know, How many times we're playing hockey and we miss the goal? Do we go out and practice for 10 hours to like get better at that? 
how many times do we burn our bread and go, oh, I put too much yeast, or I don't know how to make bread. So, yeah, whatever it is, <laughs> the pizza, right? And we try it again. We like dive in, like, what did I do? What can I do differently to make this better? Or the piano, or the gym, we hire a trainer, whatever it is. How is this any different? Mm. We're so averse to what's complex and potentially difficult. And we like what's fast and easy. Definitely, that's a U.S. culture thing. Mm. But it's well, sure not just, I'm sure it's a human thing in some way. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't have, I don't have any insight on that. What I do know is that what we need to do is, as a, as a workplace culture collective, we need to all get on board with really valuing the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere just as equally. We need to understand that the left hemisphere is the human doing aspects of who we are and the, the right hemisphere spheres that would be like so cool we are we need both yeah so Rajkumari, how does your work how does it like what does that look like how do you how does re-inclusion of that which has been excluded actually what's that process in a workplace radical empathy radical empathy um to really understand why someone is driven to do what they do and to really kind of unearth the potentiality of their own woundings, that they may have done this because they may have not known how to do something. One of the things that I don't often share this, so I'm a little bit surprised that I'm about to say it out loud. <laughs> One of the things that, uh, that I invite clients when they're working with me in the guided visualizations is to really kind of use particular language that honors that which has been excluded and to notice that there's an opportunity to do it differently. So there's an apology, which creates vulnerability and transparency and accountability. And then there's a commitment to, even though I didn't do it in the ways that you would have liked, I'm willing to do it differently moving forward. And when that happens, all of the, the opportunities for, in fact, doing it differently starts to open up because there's the, even though I didn't do it in the way that you would have liked, and I'm so sorry. And translating that into the business outcomes and the business dynamics and learning to actually navigate conversations in those ways during a one-on-one -on -one during a difficult conversation is so key in building psychological safety and belonging in team cultures and at scale. Just for that very last part where you said at scale, will you explain what that means? Company-wide. Got it. Well, I've looked at your website and you are using a lot of very interesting methods. And I say interesting, not as if I think they're weird, but interesting because there are a lot of the kinds of things that like I like and <laughs> either use or want to use or want to learn more about. Like, um, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, the people could look at your website to see, but it seems radically different from what we normally think of when we think of leadership development. I guess that's what makes it transformational, huh? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, there, for me, I have learned that how transformation occurs is through a somatic experience. And so how do I get my clients to have a somatic experience? 
every week uh, on Thursdays at three o'clock because that's what's going to help them rewire their brain. Now you're really speaking my language when you said that because that's it. You know, left brain is like to me, it's your thinking and your mind and your what's above your neck and right brain is is really in the body and what's embodied. Exactly, exactly. And when we have more access to ourselves, we get to have more access to others. Wow, that just like clicked for me so much right then when you said that because the whole thing I was before about lip service and, you know, attempts at diversity and inclusion that are about kind of like talking about diversity and inclusion versus somatic experiences of inclusion, belonging. It's completely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in the time that we have left, I'm thinking it might be helpful. Well, can we bring epigenetics into it just a little bit more? <laughs> Absolutely, Laura. What would you like to know that I could share? <laughs> I guess, you know, we don't have that much time, but what would you what would you want? Let's say people who are listening own businesses and want to understand more about how to transform their work environment so that all of their employees feel a sense of belonging. And with that said, this may not even really be a, a logical question, but what would you want them to know about the role of epigenetics in that process? Right. So I'm wondering if it would make more sense to invite our listeners to watch the first part to learn more and do that deeper dive of epigenetics. Okay. And I could spend this time actually inviting them to be really brave and open-hearted um, and implement uh, some strategies through the epigenetic lens. Perfect. In order to really create some psychological safety and eventually some, some a greater sense of belonging. Awesome. I think I think that we have truly an opportunity to get vulnerable with each other in companies. Um, it may not be that we go from being a bully or creating toxic environment to being vulnerable in a flip of a switch. So this might take a little bit of time and effort and commitment and repeatedly showing up in ways that are vulnerable to start to build that level of trust. So let's just assume that we are now at that level of trust and vulnerability. Okay. Um, it'd be really great to, to bring your executive team, your team uh, around the conference room table or around the conference room Zoom table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to draw your own epigenetic map, you know, draw yourself as a, 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 a shape. Uh, for, for women, I use and for men, I use triangles. Um, that's uh, something I think I, I found somewhere in, in Hellinger's work or some type of modality used somewhere. And and then, uh, you know, draw a line up from, from you, two lines actually, one on the left, one on the right, and then put a, you know, triangle on the circle for mom, for mom and dad. And then uh, above that, put one each for, you know, mom and dad's mom and dad. So your grandparents and your, your parents. And take, you know, put a timer on as a, as a group, just maybe 15 minutes at the most, and just write down sentences about what it was like as a child for you to be with your father. What was it like for your, as a child to be with your mother? What was it like for your father as a child to be with his parents and your mother as a child to be with her parents? And just, you know, write down some sentences. And what we're really looking for here is the emotional aspect. Oh, it was really tough. My dad was my hero. Um, my dad was never around, uh, et cetera. So things like that. Same for mom. 
And then maybe also talk a little bit about like, what was it like for dad growing up with his parents? Oh, well, you know, my dad was the middle child. So it's really hard for him because he always felt like his mom preferred his brother, things like that. And maybe for mom, well, you know, mom's dad went off to, to war. So mom never got to be with dad. And so she always longed for that relationship. So a lot of data around feelings and unmet needs and met needs. But what we're really looking for here are the unmet needs. And then correlate that back to everything that Sarah Payton has talked about around trust, connection, respect, autonomy, safety, playfulness, love. And so kind of allowing yourself to notice where the met needs are in those dynamics, those relationships, and where the unmet needs are. And then talk about that as a group, you know, and then really kind of invite the, the discussions around exploring the patternings of what happened there might actually be showing up in the team. I mean, this is incredibly vulnerable work. I get that. And imagine if we all were comfortable enough to do it. We would have incredibly high-performing teams with phenomenal levels of trust and oxytocin that just loved hanging out with each other. Yeah, that's incredible because, I mean, that is the kind of work that we as therapists do with our clients. And we as therapists, when we are in a workplace, we may share with each other, oh, I have a childhood history of this or I have, you know, uh, I grew up in a family with that, but it's more discouraged in us as therapists to actually, we're more discouraged from expressing a lot of feeling about it, which is so counterintuitive of what you would think for therapists. You would think that therapists would be talking about their feelings all the time, but it's it's hard to allow yourself to be vulnerable at work because, you know, there could be, and I think if you have unresolved trauma, there can be this feeling that if I open this up at all, I'll get swallowed up by it. So I have to avoid feeling it thinking about it don't go there yeah absolutely and that's why i think you know you only do this if you do have incredibly high trust teams uh definitely do not do this if there's a bully on the team that has not been resolved or um, invited to process that more thoroughly and this is why i speak constantly about having a consultant or you know, an executive coach come in for the team and partner with that team to be that mirror, to be that spotlight, to be that safety net, all of those things to beautifully and, you know, safely navigate incredibly difficult and really vulnerable conversations. I'm always inviting clients to, to really partner with, with consultants who are comfortable with trauma who are comfortable with shame, who are comfortable with discomfort, because that's how the transformation occurs each and every time. Right. It's like you need that person who's facilitating to be the resonant presence that makes, helps everybody stay regulated in that process. That's exactly right. I love that. I'm going to actually take that. May I take that? <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It is the modeling of self-regulation. Mm. You know, that, that consultant becomes the mirror of neurons for everyone else. And they get to look at, oh, that, that's how you do it. Oh, okay. Okay, now I'm going to try that. 
Yeah. So just out of curiosity, well, the way you do this, do you start with the leadership and help them learn to become more regulated before that they try to take it to their team? That would be the ideal scenario. I have yeah. had the honor of doing that on many occasions. So thank you to all my clients who have invited me to come do that. That's incredibly vulnerable and incredibly uh, open-hearted, I'll say, but that is the most ideal place to start always. Yeah. I have the same feeling from talking with you last time as now that it's just this feeling of like, we must slow down. The only way to get there is to slow down and not be so focused on productivity, productivity, more, 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 you know? Feeling is a three-dimensional experience. I have to feel a feeling. I don't have to feel a feeling when I'm in my left hemisphere. Yeah. I avoid my feeling. And so part of being in our body and doing the bodily functions, the bio breaks, the eating of good food, the exercising, the napping, that's a three-dimensional Newtonian classic physics experience. It is in time and space. That is where that dimension lives. Okay. Well, again, I can see, you know, how it since the left hemisphere helps us avoid feeling. That's how we like it. That's why we that's why we thrive there because we don't have to feel. But of course it leaks out everywhere and yeah. destroys relationships and creates mistrust and creates this unconscious shadow stuff of excluding and dismissing and ignoring that is so deeply harmful to systems which include workplaces, families, you know, societies. Yeah. If we were just to your point, if we were just able to value slowing down and as Sarah talks about, become that resonant witness and notice who we are in the moment and notice who we are with ourselves and notice who we are with others. That level of presence is life transforming. People get to be seen, held, valued, welcomed, respected. Mm, yeah. Wow. I'm so glad, again, that you're out there doing this and so grateful that you were able to share more of your time with me and our audience today by coming back to be my guest. It's such a huge honor, Laura. I, I, there's something magical that you do on these calls where I just feel that I'm steeped in this incredibly comfy couch, wrapped in a blanket with nice, warm air, temperature, and uh, it just it's a super cozy place for me. So thank you for creating that. Oh, gosh, thank you. Boy, that's what I'm going for. So I'm glad it's happening sometimes. I need a little, give a little more of that to myself at times, but... Before we before we wrap up, let's just you please tell everyone where they can find everything you're doing. Yes. Well, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at epigenetic underscore coach. And of course, I am uh, very, very uh, busy on LinkedIn. So you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I post there all the time, almost daily. And uh, of course, the website, rajkumarineyogi.com is 
um, very welcoming of all of uh, all of you, and uh, would love to connect and chat more with anyone who wants to learn more about epigenetics, neurobiology, exclusion, belonging, psychological safety. That's my sweet spot. Yeah, and as you mentioned last time, you and Sarah Payton created a course together, right? Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. We did a podcast series together. Yes, and it's not; it's still in production. And I hope it'll be up in the next couple of weeks, so by the end of July, um, even though today is July 1. It's happening. Yeah. Call the ROI of EQ. I love it. That's the that's the language you need to capture people who don't like thinking about feelings. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I, I'm going to check that out. Raj Kumari, thanks again for being my guest today on Therapy Chat. Laura, always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, Go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.